0: got your Bibles, you can turn with me to Hebrews chapter 10. I'm going to read two passages today, Hebrews chapter 10, verses 23 to 25, followed by 1 John 1 verse 7. So we'll start at Hebrews chapter 10. If you don't have a Bible, there's um, some Bibles at the end of the row. If you don't own a Bible, that's our gift to you. Uh, We want everyone to have one. If you have got a Bible, it's a good habit to bring it to church each week um, to check on what I'm saying and to also pick up other things that I might have missed as we go along today. So let's pick up Hebrews chapter 10, starting at verse 23. It says, Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. You can flick over to 1 John, chapter 1. And I might read from verse 5. This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you, that God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him, yet walk in the darkness, we lie, and we do not live by the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. Lord, we just pray that as we open your word today, that you would encourage our hearts that you would speak to us, that you would challenge us, that you would change us from the inside out so that we are further and further conformed into your image, that we would reflect you to the world around us, that you would use us to have an impact by the way we live our life and by the truth we live by. And so we pray this today in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Well, as it's already been mentioned today... Uh, is week two of Vision Month here at Follow Church. And the focus of today is our MCGs. As it's been explained, it's not Melbourne Cricket Grounds. It's our missional community groups where we gather together regularly around the word and prayer and we're on mission together. And so we're going to talk about those today. But I want to talk about them in the context of fellowship. Fellowship is an important, um, biblical concept and one of our uh, five key focuses as a church. And, um, Today we're going to talk about that, but if you missed last week, week one of Vision Week, I thought I'd just recap what we're talking about, because last week I preached from the book of Isaiah, chapter 54, which will be kind of like an overarching passage as we go through Vision Month, but also as part of last week's message, um, read out Isaiah chapter 53. Now, Isaiah 53 was a prophecy um, by the prophet Isaiah, spoken to Israel at a time in their history where they were divided and broken and a bit of a mess. And into the darkness of that mess, God gave Isaiah the words to prophesy, and he prophesied about the coming Messiah, Jesus Christ. 750 years before his birth, he prophesied about his life and his death and his resurrection. And the reason for that was to remind Israel that God had not forgotten them, that even though things were looking pretty bleak and pretty bad and pretty dark, that they could have hope because God was going to deliver them ultimately through a Messiah, Jesus Christ. Today, here at Follow Baptist Church, if you're a Christian, you're living on the other side of that prophecy. You're living in the fulfillment of what Isaiah prophesied 750 years before Christ's birth. You have realized the joy of forgiveness and the pleasure of living with Jesus, knowing him as your Lord and your Savior and as your friend. And so into the darkness... This prophet prophesied and he said to Israel that because of this hope you can have in Christ, that you can burst into song and you can shout for joy. Isn't that a beautiful picture of what Christians should look like? I know so many Christians that that look like they're sucking on a lemon, but we should be the most joyful people in in the whole world. People should look at us in our workplaces and our families and they should say, that person must be a Christian because they've got incredible joy. And I can see about three smiles in here today, and that's great. There's three of you that are joyful this morning, but we should be people that have this incredible joy. And so Isaiah says, sing out, burst into song, shout out for joy. But he also says in the midst of their darkness, that they are to enlarge the place of their tent, to stretch their curtains wide. He says, do not hold back. And so here he is speaking to Israel But as a prophet, he's prophesying further into the future as well. And I believe he's prophesying to the New Testament church that we are also to live by that same purpose, to extend the tent, to see people saved and discipled and come to know Jesus, to see the kingdom of God expand. And so as I said last week, as a church, we expect great things from God, both individually and as a church, because we know that God is working all things together for good for those who love him and have been called according to his purpose. We also can attempt great things for God because he says, and he can do immeasurably more than we could ever hope or dream or imagine according to his power at work within us. That's a brilliant promise. That should fill us with great faith of what God is doing and is going to do in the future. And so as a church, we expect to grow. We expect to be used by God to enlarge the tent of his kingdom through the power of the Holy Spirit, But Isaiah also said that in order to experience the growth, we need to prepare for it by lengthening the cords, by getting the supporting structures right, and by strengthening the stakes. By going deeper and stronger with our foundation. Now, in a lot of ways, it's a lot easier to grow wide than it is to grow deep. Deep takes time and it takes work. If Kim was to say to me this week, "I want a big pile of, I want some wood in our front yard," that would be easy to do. I could just go down to the timber yard. And I could say, look, I want a stack of wood. Can you deliver it? In a couple of hours, they come down, they dump a big bunch of wood in the front yard and it would be instant wood. But if Kim ran out the front door and said, no, no, I didn't mean that kind of wood. I meant I wanted a tree, an oak tree. Now that's going to take a bit of time. You can't just have an oak tree standing in the front yard. It's going to take time to plant the seed, to water it, to um, get the oxygen it needs, to have the sunlight and the care that's required for a tree to grow. Now they're both wood. One is dead and instant, one is uh, it takes a long time to grow, but it's life-giving and it's alive. And so they're very, very different in that regard. And the bigger the tree gets, the bigger the supporting structure needs to be. The roots need to go deeper and deeper. Um, across from us, we have a, a park, and when it was first started, they planted some gum trees. And just a few months ago, in one of those really wild, windy Pakenham days, um, the tree blew over. It was pretty tall, probably about as tall as that balcony up there, and it just blew right over. And when it blew over you could tell why because the roots came up and they were very small and they were very shallow and they hadn't gone deep and that's what it's like with the tree if the roots don't go down deep it'll come crashing down when the wind comes same with a tent if you don't lengthen the cords and strengthen the stakes the whole thing will collapse and i want to say this morning that it's very much the same with a church we can grow wide very quickly we can attract a crowd We can grow numerically, we can go down the path of entertaining people, we can become consumers of a product, and we can do that very quickly. But if we don't go deeper, if we don't develop in discipleship, if we don't grow in our faith and develop a root system, when things get tough, the church can easily just fall apart. And so as a community that is enlarging wide, we also want to be a community that is growing deep. One of the greatest tools that God has given us to help us grow individually and a ch- as a church is one another. It's one of the greatest tools we've been given, and so today, if you remember nothing else in this whole sermon, remember this: you are a bunch of tools. <laughs> and so turn to the next person next to you and say, "You're a tool." Very good. It's easy to get people to do stuff, isn't it? You're a tool. I'm a tool. We're all tools together. And usually that would be highly offensive. If you're visiting, you're probably thinking, what sort of church have I walked into? Um, We're a church that is not easily offended. We we love grace and forgiving, so um, you can forgive us this morning. But but we are want to be a church that uh, sharpens one another, that encourages one another. And one of the greatest things to grow in our faith is the people that God has placed around us. Today, being a tool, um, which is normally an offensive title, is actually a compliment because it's one of the most important things in our faith to realize that we need one another in life. From the very start of creation, when Adam was placed in the garden, it seems like at the outset that he had everything he could ever need. God was walking and talking with him. There was this intimate relationship. He had all the animals. He had all the food he could ever need. What more could a man need? All the food he could ever imagine. And yet in the midst of seeming like he was in paradise... God said those profound words. He said, it's not good for man to be alone. And so Eve was created to be in relationship with Adam. And as image bearers, um, we are called and created to reflect the image of God. Now, God has always eternally existed as a relational God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, in beautiful, intimate, perfect relationship. And you and I have been created in the image of that relational God. And so from the very start of humanity and from the start of our lives, we have been wired to be in relationship with one another. The Bible describes this relationship in a Christian context as fellowship, or as Hebrews puts it, meeting together. Now, the thing is this, that we're designed to meet together, but sin is the thing that stops us from doing that. The Bible teaches that sin is what separates us from God, but it's also what breaks down relationship when it comes to living with one another. If you can think of any time in your life when you've been in a relationship or you've experienced some sort of breakdown, whether it's an argument or a disagreement, a breakup in business or a marriage, it's always going to involve sin on one side or the other. And if we're honest, usually on both sides, now, if not in the way that it was caused, certainly way, in the way that we respond by holding on to unforgiveness and being angry and in our stubborn, prideful refusal to be reconcilers as God has commanded us to be. Sin is the problem. And if we remain in our sin, we'll never experience relationship at the depth that God has designed us to. Now, one of the joys of the gospel is that Christ, God through Christ, has offered us forgiveness from sin. And because of that, he can redeem both our relationship with God the Father, but also our relationship with one another as we receive the grace of the cross and then pass it to those around us. This morning, I read from the book of Hebrews. And we're going to focus heavily on that passage this morning, but in the preceding verses to the verses I read in chapter 10, it's all about Jesus' once and for all sacrifice. The book of Hebrews really compares the Old Testament and the New Testament and shows how they're different and how the new covenant is superior to the old one. And in the old covenant, God's people would bring sacrifices into the temple on a regular basis to atone for their sins. And so the Bible says, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. And it says the wages of sin is death. And so people in the old covenant would bring an animal into the temple, and that blameless, spotless, uh, usually lamb, uh, would be sacrificed. And when it was sacrificed and the blood was spilt, it became an atoning sacrifice for the person. Um, pretty much that, that animal died in the person's place, and then atonement for sin was achieved. Now, I'm really glad that system is no longer in practice today. That would be a bit of a mess here this morning, bringing in our sheep and our cow to to slaughter. And and, and as a pastor, I guess it would be my role to do that. And I don't think I'd really enjoy that. And I don't think the pack-up team would really enjoy cleaning it up. (laughs) And the good news for us is that that system put in place by God was only ever meant to be a temporary system. And it always pointed to a greater fulfillment, someone greater, someone more superior, and that person is Jesus. On the cross, when Jesus died in our place, the Bible says he was the lamb of God. He was the once and for all sacrifice, that he died in your place and that he died in my place for the forgiveness of our sins. And so when we accept what Christ did, we no longer have to pay that death penalty. Our blood no longer has to be spilled, but we can accept what Christ has done and we can be forgiven and have the hope of eternal life through a relationship with God the Father. And so Jesus brings us back into a relationship with God the Father by pouring out his grace at the cross. Jesus, his undeserved love was poured into our life at the cross, but never so that it would just be hoarded by us, but that it would also hold us together in Christ-centered community as we love and forgive and serve people who don't deserve it just like we didn't deserve it when Christ died for us. And so it's so important that we remember that that's what makes a community like this so different to any other community. But when we choose not to forgive, when we choose not to extend grace, if we hold grudges and don't reconcile with one another And with radical love, all of the impact, all of the power, all of the witness to the world around us completely disappears. Jesus said, by this, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. And so let me explain the gospel in a different way. There was a time in our lives that we were walking in the dark. One John, one says that we're now walking in the light, but there was a time if we were walking in the light that we were once walking in the darkness. And so we were walking away from God. We had turned our back on him and we were walking away and we didn't really care. We were rebelling. We were lost. We were broken. We were far from God. We had no hope for an eternal relationship with him. But in the midst of the darkness, we didn't find Jesus. He pursued us. And in the midst of the darkness, that the light of the gospel pierced our heart and we realized that we were doing the wrong thing, that we were rallying against God. And in that moment, we did what the Bible calls repentance. And we turned a 180 degree turn. And instead of walking away from God in the darkness, we came back to the cross of Jesus. Where we realised that our only hope to be forgiven. Our only hope to be saved was found at the cross. And so if you're a Christian here today, you came to that moment. And it was the most miraculous moment in your life where you accepted Christ once and for all sacrifice. The Apostle Paul says at that moment, a miracle happens. You become a new creation, and you step from darkness into the light. And so if you are now post-salvation, if you've accepted Christ, you are now no longer turning your back on God and walking in the dark, but you have turned to Christ, and you are pursuing him in the light. You and I are walking in the light. 1 John one seven says this about everyone who is a Christian, everyone who is saved. It says this, if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. This morning we had our MCG leaders get up here and share about their MCG groups, and they had to share with a a fruit or a vegetable. And um, as I was reading the passage, it it occurred to me that I can outdo them this morning, not because I'm competitive, um, but I'm going to do it anyway. And I, I can outdo them today because in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 23 to 25, you will see four lettuces. And we're going to focus on the four lettuces today of Hebrews chapter 10. The first one I'm going to talk about is in verse 25. If you look at it, it says, let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. Now, 1 John and Hebrews chapter 10 and many other passages throughout scripture make it clear that fellowship in the Christian life is not an optional extra. So that today you could leave here go and buy a new car. And you can head down to the car yard and you can talk to the salesman there. And their job, what they're trying to do is to sell you the most expensive car they can possibly sell you. And so you'll tell them the kind of car you're looking for and they'll point one out and they'll say, well, that's the base model. But now there's all these optional extras you can get and they'll go through it all. And they'll tell you what you really need. And one of the things they might mention is a sunroof. They might say, you really want a sunroof and today is probably not a good day to try and sell it. But you'd be down there and they say, you really need a sunroof. And most of us would go, well, I don't know if I really do need a sunroof. I know the women here will say, no, I don't want a sunroof. It's raining. And I've spent four hours in the bathroom uh, drying and tying and dyeing my hair and, and blow waving and curling and doing all those things. And there's no way that I want the, the wind and the rain to, to mess up my hair because heaven forbid if there was one hair out of place in public, I'd never live it down. And so the women would say, no, I don't want a sunroof unless you're Catalina and she gets the whole drop top uh, in her car and she's ducking her head like this. And she manages to keep her hair looking so lovely. Well done, Catalina. If you're Donald Trump, you probably won't want the the sunroof. Uh, The moment in the presidential limo, you open it up and the toupee flies out the top and it's not a good presidential look. But if you're going through a midlife crisis, there's a good chance you might want the sunroof. Those few hairs you've got left, you might want them to gloriously blow in the breeze. And you might think, well, that looks cool. And so give me the sunroof, and and the bigger the better. But when you get a car, it's an optional extra. And what I want to say today is this that fellowship's not a sunroof, it's not an optional extra in the Christian life. If you walk in the light as Christ is in the light, you will have fellowship with one another. Well, you might think, well, that's good. I come to church. That's okay. I do my church. I tick that box. I have the fellowship. I go home and I come back again next week. I used to think like that. I grew up in a church where they always talked about the fellowship being the cup of tea after the service. And so you would go and get your lukewarm coffee, which is not what we have here, thanks to Rob, but you get your lukewarm coffee and your stale bicky, if you can get one before the kids take them all. And for that 15 minutes, you have your fellowship and then you go home and then you come back next week for some more fellowship. And that was my sort of sum total of what fellowship was. But what I've come to learn over the years is that fellowship is so much more than that. If that's the only fellowship you experience, it's going to be very limited and there will be a shallowness to your relationships with those who are walking with you in the light. It will never really get beyond the surface level of hi, bye, see you next week. That will be the extent of your fellowship. A few years ago, I was researching this word, and I think I may have shared this before, but I came across a defini- definition of fellowship that has always stuck with me. I really jumped off the page. As I looked at it, it said that fellowship is social intercourse. That's an interesting uh, terminology to describe what you do with fellow Christians. When we think of, um, of intercourse, usually, I hope we don't think about it too much, but when we think about it, we usually think about sex. If you're a kid here today, block your ears. If you're over 60, block your ears. <laughs> My parents are over 60, and i just like to choose to believe that doesn't happen anymore. So, <laughs> It's awkward when they're down here. I don't want to look over here anymore, but it only really happened three times, and there were three kids, so 100% strike rate. But we often think of, uh, when we talk about intercourse, we think of that the sexual variety And when you think of sex for a moment, you have permission to do that today for a minute while I'm talking about it. But when you think about it, it really is the most intimate you can be with another human being, physically speaking. And you think about it, you're naked, you're vulnerable. There's nothing hidden. You're completely out there. This is getting bad, isn't it? You're completely connected. It's an intimate God-given gift and it's the closest you can get with another human being physically speaking. Now this is why I think the definition of fellowship being social intercourse is a great analogy because in many ways we're we're completely transparent. In in a fellowship relationship, it's a relationship that's deep where you can lay down the things that are going on. You can can stop pretending to be someone you're not and you can be honest about the struggles you're having. It's a place where you can confess your sins. It's a place where you can wrestle with the word together, pray for one another. It's a place where you journey through the ups and downs, where you're completely vulnerable, nothing hidden, intimately connected by Jesus Christ. It's the deepest spiritual relationship you can have with other people. And let me tell you, if you invest in it, it's life-changing. Fellowship's not something we should do because the Bible just says it and we're obligated to it. We should do it because it's life-changing. God has provided this incredible gift for us that we would live together in fellowship. And so let's not give up meeting together. Sorry, darling. Get a bit hot in here. Some are in the habit of doing, but let us do it all the more as we see the day approaching. I don't know if you've noticed, but it seems like we're in a world that's surrounded by darkness. Darkness. And it seems to me it's getting darker and darker all the time. You just got to watch the news or jump on social media for a few minutes and you'll see that it's a a pretty dark world that we live in. And and we shouldn't be surprised. Jesus said that it was going to get worse before it gets better. There's going to be wars and an increase of wars and rumors of wars and famine and pain and wickedness and brokenness. Things are going to get worse before they get better. And so being surrounded in increasing measure by darkness, it makes sense that God's word says that we should increase the amount of fellowship we have with those who are in the light. Now it doesn't mean we spend no time with people in the darkness, we're people on mission, but we need to balance it with regular time, genuine time, with those who will build us up in our faith. And so let us number one, let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us do it more as the day approaches. Let us number two. Is in verse 23. It says, let us hold unswervingly to the hope that we have for he who promised is faithful. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we have for he who promised is faithful. Now, the book of Hebrews was written to a group of Jewish Christians that were suffering incredible persecution. And the temptation was, in the midst of the persecution, when things weren't going well, the temptation was to turn back to their old Jewish faith, the way they used to do things, the old covenant rather than the new covenant. But the writer of Hebrews keeps pointing them back to the new covenant and saying it's superior and better in every way. And so don't go back to the way that you used to live, but enjoy life in Christ. Remember the promises of he who is faithful. Now, who here, if I was to ask for a show of hands, would say that their faith in Christ is 100% unswerving? Excellent. I don't know why I've got my hand up. Because we live in a world that, uh, that we find a lot of pressure as Christians. The world seems to be either apathetic towards Christianity or, or antagonistic towards Christianity. And so we find ourselves in a culture increasingly where we're becoming more and more of a minority and there's a lot of pressure on us as Christians, And so for all of us, there's times where I think we struggle with doubt, and I think there's times where we have fears, and there's difficult times we go through in life, and we all have blind spots where you know we don't see what's really going on in our heart, and we can wander off track. And sometimes it's those blind spots and those difficult circumstances of life that we do start to wander. And this is why fellowship is so important, to help us to hold unswervingly, because when we start to wander, we have people in our life that say, no, no, come on. Come back to God's word. Remember that he is faithful. Yes, you're going through a difficult time, but the one who promised is faithful. And so put your hope in him. Don't go back to your old life. Put your faith in Christ. Now, most of you here have probably read the Christian classic, The Pilgrim's Progress, by John Bunyan. Maybe some of you haven't, but it's an incredible book. If you can get hold of it, have a a read about it. And it's really about a young guy that's journeying. uh, He's a Christian traveler, like any of us, And really, it articulates what the Christian walk is like, all the joys and the struggles of our faith. And there's a pilgrim on the journey, and his name is Christian. And there's one scene where Christian is particularly weary. He's worn out, he's exhausted, he's had very little sleep, and he's thinking about giving up. But in the distance, when he's feeling this way, he sees a palace. And the palace is called Palace Beautiful. And so he's desperate to keep going to get to the palace so he can have some rest. On the way there, as he continues his journey, he comes across a narrowing in the path. And the only way he can get to the palace is by continuing along that straight, narrow path. Now the problem is this, that he looks down the path, and in the distance he sees two ferocious lions. And straight away he starts to freak out. And he's heard about this path before. His friends that have gone before him, their names are mistrust and timorous. They've been down this path before and they've told him about it and they freaked out so badly, those lines caused them to turn around and to flee and they never made it to Palace Beautiful. And so Christian in this moment is thinking the exact same thing. I'm about to give up. I'm going to turn around. It's all too difficult. It's all too dangerous. And he's about to turn around when all of a sudden he hears a voice and the voice comes from the palace porter. His name is Watchful. And he yells out to Christian, And he says, are your strength and courage so small? He said, don't be afraid of the lions since they are in fact chained. Their being there is for the purpose of testing your faith at this part of the journey. Now, I reckon this is a beautiful picture of fellowship because there are times when we all feel like Christian. There are times when we all feel like this is just too hard. There's too much pressure. Things aren't going well. And right now, I feel like I just want to give up on all of this. There are times when we all find ourselves in that situation. And there are the times that we need one another to hold unswervingly to the hope that we have in Christ. And so you can imagine Christian. I've seen a, a picture of it drawn, a beautiful picture. And he's walking down this narrow path And there's these two lions that are chained on either side and they're up on their hind legs and they're trying to get at him and they're snapping and growling growling and snarling and they're threatening him. And he walks along this narrow path. And if he goes one inch to the left or one inch to the right, he's going to get devoured. But he stays on the straight and narrow because the porter's ahead of him. And he's saying, come on, Christian, keep going. Stay on the narrow path. Trust God. This is a test of your faith, but he'll bring you through it. And as he gets through the lines, porter, stretches out his hand, and he pulls him through that obstacle. And for me, it's a brilliant example of fellowship. You need me, I need you to help each other hold unswervingly to the hope that we have and to remind each other that the one who promises us incredible promises is faithful. And so we come back to God's word. We come back to prayer. We come back to fellowship. And we stay on the straight and narrow. We continue on the journey. Not to palace beautiful, but following Jesus into eternity. We need one another. Let us, number two, is to let us hold unswervingly to the hope we have for he who's promised is faithful. Let us, number three, let us consider how we might spur one another on toward love and good deeds. I want you to remember again, this book written to Hebrews, this letter, was written to guys who are being persecuted. Now, I don't know how you feel when you're being persecuted, but I don't usually feel love towards the person who's persecuting me. In our culture, I think our persecution is going to increase, and there's going to be times where we're going to be tempted to respond with revenge, respond with retaliation, to prove ourselves right by putting others down, and I've already seen this on social media all the time, where Christians who are representing Jesus are brutal with the way they interact with other people, and we damage our witness. One of the things that's so important about fellowship is that we spur one another on towards love, loving everyone, even our enemies, as Jesus commands us to not only love, but also good deeds as we live for Christ. Proverbs 27 verse 17 says, as iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. Now I've got to say that I love my MCG. Over here, I'm going to park that there. I love my MCG. Over here, I'm going to be honest as your pastor. I rarely ever feel like going. Every time the MCG is on, It just so happens I feel tired, I'm having a busy week, and every time I feel like there's this battle going on, and I don't feel like going. But I've come to the point in my life where I realize I'm convinced that fellowship is incredibly important, and so I push myself beyond what I feel, and I go to the MCG, and I've got to say, I've never gone to my MCG and left feeling less encouraged, Less inspired to live for God. And I can honestly say, say I believe that I'm a better man, a better pastor, a better person, a better husband, a better dad because of the guys in my MCG. They have permission to speak into my life. I have permission to speak into theirs, and it's a powerful thing. Just this week, I watched a video on YouTube. There was a video of a young kid in the US called Matt Woodrum, and he was a guy that struggled with cerebral palsy. Palsy. And one day, his class was having a 400-meter race, and they were running this race. And this kid really wanted to do it. He wanted to be like everyone else in his class. He wanted to run the 400 meters. And so they lined up at the starting line, and the gun went off, and everyone took off. And for the first few meters, it looked like Matt was doing okay, but then it became clearer and clearer that he was really struggling. By the time he got to the 100-meter mark, it looked like he wasn't going to finish the race. It looked like he was going to fall down. And so at that point, the the gym teacher left the starting line and he went up to the side of Matt and he started to encourage him, saying, come on, Matt, you can do it. Keep going, mate. You know, Almost halfway there. Keep going. And as the gym teacher did that, something powerful happened. All the other students all of a sudden came over and they, they formed a huge throng around him. And they all started to encourage him and they started to chant. They started to go, let's go, Matt, let's go. Let's go, Matt. Let's go. So for the last 300 meters, he was surrounded by this cloud of people who encouraged him and and it helped so much that it helped him finish the race. It was a very powerful video. At the end of the race, they interviewed Matt and his exact quote was this. He said, it was really tiring, but it really helped when my classmates and my coach and everybody swarmed around me, it was really encouraging. and That is what gathering together does. When we feel like we can't do it, when we feel like we want to sort of gravitate to being selfish and self-centered, when we gather with God's people, we say, no, no, keep going. Let's keep serving the Lord here. Let's spur one another on to love and to good deeds, which brings me to the last letters today, verse 25, let us encourage one another. There's so many things in life that can discourage us. I feel like on the inside of my life, there's a, a dual fuel system going on. There's a discouragement tank and there's an encouragement tank. And I often find that the discouragement tank is higher than the encouragement one. And once again, if you look at social media and look at the world around us, there's a lot of stuff to discourage us. People often will will tell you um, the good things occasionally, but if you do the wrong thing, they'll tell it to you immediately. And so there's always this, this dual fuel tank going on in my life. But what I find is when I gather with God's people, it's like flicking the switch from one tank to the other. I come in discouraged, whether it's church or a MCG or just gathering of God's people. And it's like a switch flicks. God does something through encouragement from other people. And I leave that place living on another tank. It's a tank of encouragement. And so one of the great things about fellowship is that we come together and we encourage one another. It's so important that we do that. For me, one of the most scary verses in all of scripture is in Matthew chapter 24. And it says these words. It says, because of the increase of wickedness, The love of most will grow cold. The love of most will grow cold. What does most mean? Is that 10%? Is it 50%? I reckon if I wrote the love of most, I reckon it'd be more like 80%. I'd be talking about 80%, 90%. That was what would represent the most for me. So if you think for a moment that this church represented Christianity in the end times, eight or nine out of 10 of you, your love for Christ will grow cold. That means one or two of you out of every 10 will still be on fire for Jesus. That is a scary verse. That is a scary thought. And it highlights why fellowship is so important. Because we need one another to keep on fire for Christ. We don't we haven't been created to be alone. It's not good for man to be alone. We need one another. And I really think this is how the devil works. Because the word commands us to meet together all the more as you see the day approaching. But at the same time, God's provided with us every good thing for our enjoyment. The problem is we take the things that are good and we make them the most important things in our lives. We turn them into idols. And so even though God's word tells us to meet together all the more, we're immersed in a culture that wears insane busyness as a badge of honor. And so we fill our lives with good things, but those things become the most important things. We fill our lives with school commitments and work commitments and sport and travel and wealth and hobbies. And those things become so important and take up so much time in our schedule that the one thing that we often remove is fellowship. Just don't have time. I hear that all the time. Just don't have time. Guess what? We all have the same amount of time. It just depends on what we prioritize in the time that we've been given. So because we get so busy, we can't come to church regularly. We give up meeting together all the more, the one thing God commands us to increase is the one thing that we start to neglect. And so today I want to challenge you, at the start of 2017, to reevaluate your schedule, to re-examine your life, and to honestly assess whether fellowship is a priority in your life. Not because it's a legalistic, we've got to do it, but because it's life-changing. And there's a life in God that is so much deeper that you'll experience as you journey with other people. And it may mean this year that you've got to drop some of the balls that you're juggling, It may mean that you might have to let a good thing go to embrace a better thing. But we need each other to hold unswervingly to the hope we have. We need each other to spur one another on towards love and goods. We need one another to keep the encouragement tank full. So as Adam said before, we'd love everyone in our church to be involved in an MCG. But our our goal, our minimum goal is that we want at least 60% of people in our church this year involved in an MCG. So if you're not in one, I want to encourage you today to visit the tables at the back. To hear more about them, we want to start more MCGs this year, and I hope and pray this year that you'll experience a depth of fellowship that you've never experienced in your life before as you journey with a group of people who are part of a movement, a church that wants to impact this region for the kingdom of God. As we continue to grow wider, we must continue to grow deeper. Let's pray. Lord God, you're an incredible God, and and each week we have so much to thank you for. We have so much to worship you for, and we thank you, Lord, for your word. We thank you for prayer. We thank you for the blessings in this life. But Lord, we want to thank you this morning specifically for the gift of fellowship. I thank you that you've put us in a community like this, made up of a group of people from different backgrounds and different experiences, and they don't all look the same and think the same and act the same, but we're all united around the cross of Christ. And Lord, as we gather around you, as we receive your grace, and as we distribute it to one another, Lord, I pray this year that our church wouldn't just grow wider, but it would go deeper. Lord, I pray that there would be life-giving enrichment found in regular fellowship in this church. So Lord, I pray that you challenge our hearts today to re-examine our hearts, our schedules, that we would put you first, and that we would make it an important priority in our life to gather with your people if we are in the light. As you are in the light, we will have fellowship with one another. In Jesus' name, amen.